episode 74 of In Goal Radio, the podcast. Welcome to the show, everybody. Feature interview this week, Scott Darling, a man that has really seen, experienced everything there is to experience in the world of goaltending and hockey. A great interview coming up with Kevin Woodley as uh, the two of them catch up uh, over uh, his career his uh, journey and uh, what he's up to now. And uh, speaking of journey, he has a great one that uh, is about to start. Uh, I won't give it away uh, too much, but a really good story uh, regarding Scott Darling and what he's up to in the immediate future, as well as uh, on his hockey life. Here is Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison, the co-founders of In Goal Magazine. Uh, hello, gentlemen. A lot going on in, uh, in the world of uh, goaltending and the world of hockey. And let's start with uh, uh, goaltenders uh, back on the ice. We're seeing phase two well underway. And uh, Woody, uh, there's some uh, social media rumblings that, uh, that you've changed your opinion a little bit as far as uh, what type of goaltender uh, from an experience level is going to have the, uh, the best shot at dominating right out of the gate when return to play happens well i think we should coach that by saying nobody really knows what's going to happen because we've never seen this before but i will say and talking to some goalies and goalie coaches around the league my opinion has changed in the early stages of this the first month even the first two months i kind of thought that some of the younger guys that were staying more engaged uh, you know i pointed to carter hart a lot because he's got a track record in the last two years of when he comes back from an injury he actually plays better because he does all this extra work when he's out all the you know, sort of making sure he takes care of his eye training and his brain training and all those types of things. And I wondered in the first couple months if the guys who went the other way and just completely walked away from the game. Uh, We talked to Carey Price on our our in-goal webinar with Eli Wilson where he didn't even have pads with him down in Washington State where he was staying. Didn't even have his gear. Uh, Braden Holpe completely off the ice, not doing anything. I thought for the first couple of months, those were the guys that were most at risk if we came back on short notice and we're playing again in after a two or three week training camp. Well, here we are three months later. Phase two is just starting or just has started. Phase three doesn't start till July 10th. That's the training camp. And now I, I think I've completely switched my opinion after talking to goalie. I kind of thought about this. It was a thought that I had and ran it by people and they all seem to agree. Now I'm honest. I, I think the guys that walked away completely because that's what they do every summer might be the best equipped to come back out of the gate. Not to, it's certainly not going to be an absolute. There's no universal rule here. But when we think of a guy like Carey Price walking away and leaving his equipment behind, that's what he does in the summer until August 1st anyways. Braden Holpe, same thing. Walks away, doesn't touch the ice until August. Well, phase two has essentially become August for these guys. And there is enough of a ramp up, I think, for them to get comfortable. The other group, the ones that never, that don't, walk away from the game as as absolutely as that type the younger kids they normally hit august 1st and they've done their work with goalie coaches they've gone to camps they've been skating maybe just once a week in june maybe twice a week in july they've lost all that so them their august their phase two is quite unique and and foreign to a lot of them whereas for a carry or a Braden, it's like hey this is just what i do every summer this is this is something i'm familiar with and we know how much whether it's it's your routine and being comfortable with it in terms of physically preparing for the season is one thing, but mentally, the confidence of knowing, hey, this is just how I've done it for the last however many years, and in their case, a lot of years, and I know I can be good out of the gate, man, that carries a lot of value. So I think I've kind of I've come around on that. The guys who put the gear away for the while, 
um, may actually have an advantage over some of the ones that didn't and, and feel a little bit of fish out of water coming back now. How do you, how do you think, Woody, that, that works out to exhibition play and how much time that will, how much that will be compressed compared to a normal year? I mean, yes, they may have the, a similar summer routine now, but coming out of the gate fast is going to be even more important. So a guy who might be a little slow to come around in October, a guy who needs a little bit more exhibition game time, uh, might not be as fast out of the gate this time, or at least it is a little different, right? I think, and Darren, you'll, you'll probably have a feel for this down there. I wonder if you're going to see, we've seen expanded rosters up to 28. I wonder if you're going to see a lot more scrimmage type type of play that was my in thought. training camps. Yeah, because you're, you're right, Hutch, you're not going to have, so you're not going to have a big ramp up in terms of exhibition games, three exhibition games per team. But let's not forget, regular exhibition for the NHL, frankly, the first half of it, your starter's not playing anyways. Right. Like like how starters typically only get two and a half. They might play two and a half, three starts and play two and a half games at the most three heading into a regular season. So it's not going to be that different for the starters. The big but compressed. Well, I mean, compressed sometimes many games. They're they're three. They're going to have to basically what's compressed is they have to be in playoff form when they play their first play in game. Whereas before they would take exhibition games over two weeks. I'm going to just jump in here. Uh, NHL training camps, some teams skate twice and then they're into, into exhibition. That's what I was going to say. This is, this is, we're probably looking at two weeks of camp and then the exhibition games. So So. I, I think where the onus goes is on whether it's scrimmages or the goalie coaches creating game like situations in a practice environment will be more important than ever for the goaltenders, because you're absolutely right, Darren. And we've talked about this Hutch before, like training camp is effectively two or three days. Now, like I know for the Canucks, they'll go to like Victoria or Whistler or the interior, literally two days. And they'll come back to Vancouver and they'll be do two days for two days, do their testing, come back to Vancouver and start the exhibition game on like the third or fourth day. So this is a, a much longer extended training camp to maybe there's not as much exhibition. And then you're into the stuff that counts. So, re- but you have a lot more time in training camp to get ready, and it's going to be on the goalie coaches and the head coaches to come up with a way to make sure the goalies are prepared. Out of Did the you game. just say two a days? Those don't happen anymore. Two a days, but they split the groups. Obviously, oh. yeah, of course. And this, you're right. In this, remember day and those? Age, we used to do those though. There, there used to that used to happen all the time. Yeah, no. Now the only guys that have to do two days, and it's actually three a days, are the media because we have got to yeah. sit through each group <laughs> one, two, three for like four hours and wait till we get to talk to them. And so, the guy that you're doing uh, the feature the on is always in the third group. Yeah, well, yeah, because you, really, you're not the first group guys are the top guys, and you've already probably tracked them down in the summer and written yeah. your feature. So you're <laughs> digging for the scraps that aren't going to be there when training camp starts. So yeah, hurry up and wait takes a whole new meaning as a job description at training camp. Well, that's why Woody has to drive every backup goalie in the league home in his uh, car. Not even just the backups. He's always waiting for that last group, and then he's got to wait until they do their work with a goalie coach, and then they they have to do a few more reps for the uh, last players out there. And and by the time Woody's done talking to them, the bus is gone, and he's he owes them a trip home. I wonder how you're going to do that now for, with for the, the podcast. You're, you're going to have to set up a COVID car uh, with social distancing. You won't be able to just interview them in the in the passenger seat uh, anymore. Plexiglass screen and the there new car. There you go. Uh, I, my, well, I'm going to have to start an Uber business. My opinion uh, of it is, is quite honestly, is there's eight weeks between phase two and uh, the start of phase three or, or completing phase three before we get a return to play. So there's there's eight weeks of goaltenders to be on the ice. I think they'll they should all be in in a 
decent enough group by then. I, I'm not sure that there's a big advantage for a veteran or not, but uh, but I like I like the uh, the theory that goaltenders uh, that that walked away will be more comfortable. Okay, listen. So here's the truth, Darren. You're probably absolutely right, but some of us have had to fill radio yeah, yes, spots yes. across the country for three months without hockey. So when I come up with a new talking point, sorry, you better believe that it is the truth. We may, we may, we may know the reality is they're all going to be just fine. But for those radio hits that I'm doing and getting paid to do, I need something I can dig into. So give me this one. Well, I just goaltending uh, exhibition games uh, are going to be vitally important. There's not going to be any of these uh, switching halfway through. Uh, guys, the value of those two exhibition games is going to be huge. Uh, well, and it's going to be, I want to see who gets switched once the real thing starts. Like, are we going to see the quick hooks? Like, Mike Keenan type stuff, guys going back and forth, man, the margin for error has never been slimmer at a time when for a lot of teams, the gap between number one and number two has never been narrower. Outside of your carry price type situations, there are a lot of teams. You've got one there in Vegas where you could argue who's the best goalie. And it's not just there. Like I saw, you know, there's a list that had Tristan Jari. Is Tristan Jari a slam dunk starter? For the Pittsburgh Penguins, statistically he is based on the season he had, but Matt Murray was trending up towards the end, and we all yeah. know how much Mike Sullivan was as a coach, you know, likes and trusts Matt Murray. He's got two cups with him. Um, there are so many situations like Minnesota. that. Minnesota, Kemper, Anti, Ranta, Minnesota. I think we all. Look, I mean, normally you'd be like Dubnik's a slam dunk, but I think actually the slam dunk is Staylock out of the gate. But when you've got Dubie sitting there, that could all change based on the training camp they have, the exhibition they have. I don't think there's ever been more question marks and more uncertainty about who ends up playing a series uh, for for more teams than we're going to have this year. Yeah, I think the quick hook changes from from one game to the other. If there's a an off game, you're going to see coaches make that make that switch. And and normally you'd say, okay, if we see the backup, it's a bad thing. Uh, in this case, I, I think there's a lot of faith in backups that if uh, if teams are successful, you're going to need two goaltenders on a long run uh, to to be that team that has an impact uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's just the reality coming uh, out of the uh, the pause. Sorry, go I was just going to say we're going to have some fantastic stories coming out of this because there are going to be so many curveballs coming. Who's who's going to be your surprise guy for the playoffs, Woody? Somebody we might not even think about. Oh, I was just going to say, like, uh, obviously, Bennington went wire to wire, but we talk about this as being unique to COVID, but we're two years removed from Braden Holpe not starting the first two games for the Washington Capitals and winning a Stanley Cup. And if you go back over the years, Marc-Andre Fleury and Matt Murray both playing roles um, and and getting starts in the two prior cup runs to that, you know, all the way back to Cam Ward and Martin Gerber in 2006. Like, there's a long history in between of of... of no, Scott Darling, prime example. Yeah. Okay, he didn't start the playoffs in 2015, but our guest today, if not for him coming into that round uh, and and uh, when when Corey Crawford scuffled a little bit in that first round and, and getting them past the Nashville Predators, I'm not sure that he's got a Stanley Cup on his resume. Name's not on the Stanley Cup. So there's a long list, as much as we think this is COVID-specific, of the guy you expect, maybe not, not going the whole way, at least, or having two two guys record wins during a Stanley Cup in the in the last little while, it's just going to be even more amplified. And if I had to pick a dark horse right now, Hutch, um, and I say this not knowing how he's ever started a season at a professional level because he hasn't started one at the NHL level. So, and I think your 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 October track record is going to matter here. How you come out of a camp and out of the gate, but if if you want a dark horse, give me Igor Shesterkin. 
because nobody dominated the National Hockey League like he did once he arrived. Was he 10-2? and two? The kid just wins. There's not a deep track record uh, to build a scouting book on him. And if he can, basically the only question mark I have about him is can he come out and start the way he entered the Rangers midseason coming out of the American Hockey League? If he's the same goalie, he's cut every much a chance of, of being, you know, the story of the playoffs as any other guy. The other one would be Elvis Merzlikens. Because what he went on a heater there where he was like, what, five shutouts in a short number of starts. So he's shown that capability. The difference between the two, uh, Igor plays behind a team that where defense is a foreign concept. And Merzlikens has actually one of the most insulated defensive environments in the National Hockey League this year in Columbus. I'm going to go Florida. I don't know what's going to happen there. Hobbs. I know it's it, uh, or or is this a Chris Dreacher plug? Yeah, well, yeah, it's yeah, it's, exactly. it's that kind of thing. What what I, I know Bob's the guy, but if there's any scuffling, he hasn't had the 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 greatest uh, uh, first year in Florida, and uh, may, maybe something happens there. That's just just my. That'll be a very short leash. Yeah, I how how short would the leash be in Florida? Because it's not as much of a tandem, but you saw Dreacher uh, take over. And, and and have a nice run. And I know it's not a big sample size, but man, it's hard to ignore nine thirty eight. Yeah. Well uh it's 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 fascinating. I'm I'm curious to see what's going to happen. And uh, in the meantime, we have uh go ahead there. I was just gonna say the best part is we'll have something to talk about, but as Hutch said, what's what all these stories that are gonna come out? The sad part is none of us are gonna be there in person, I don't think, to write them. And they'll happen so fast with the uh, with the the 24 team tournament that you'll hardly have time to chew on much before the next thing happens with uh, six games a day in, in the early going of the return to play uh plan the way that we believe it's going to be set up uh this weekend uh as we wait for the training camps and then the return to play uh to occur in the National Hockey League uh, in goal magazine will keep uh busy with uh with a great partnership with the Western Hockey League and Hockey Canada Hutch if you can just uh, walk us through a little bit uh on the uh the periphery of what's going to happen and then Woody can dive in a little bit deeper yeah, I think Woody's going to have to dive in a little bit deeper. He's sort of taken point on this. We're both involved, um, but but Woody's been the point man, and um, in a great opportunity for us, and and I think our our premium members as well, because we are uh, working with uh, the Western Hockey League and Hockey Canada to present their inaugural um, online goalie coaching symposium. So there's a large collection of goaltender goaltender coaches uh, for the Western Hockey League and a number of other representatives from across the country. Uh, sent by Hockey Canada, and uh, we are not only the presenting sponsors, but we are also working in the background to make sure that everything uh, runs smoothly from an online perspective, thanks to all the experience we gained uh, with all the different webinars that the three of us put on, along with all of our premium members. So uh, thanks to all that great support we got from our membership, we've been able to sort of extend that knowledge and, and gain this opportunity to work with some some great coaches and some uh, great educational material that uh, we'll be able to bring quite a bit of it to our members yeah. later on down the road. And I, I think it's important to thank the Ingle Premium membership, not only for the audience and support that allowed us to invest in the webinar technology and to learn as we went, the patience as we learned a few hiccups. We basically managed to establish ourselves as having an expertise in the industry with this, enough so that that um, that the WHL and Edmonton Oilers goaltending coach Dustin Schwartz reached out about us hosting this. So we're not just the presenting sponsors of the first ever 
WHL Hockey Canada Goaltending Symposium. We're actually the presenters, so we'll take care of all the tech. And I think the other thing we, reason we need to thank our In Goal Premium members is for their patience because we have been a little, we haven't run webinars the last couple of weekends. And a big reason why is we've been preparing for this one. Obviously, webinars were, it's not really what you signed up for at Ingo Premium. They were kind of a bonus. Um, but the fact they've sort of slowed down the last couple of weeks is not a sign of plans to come. We've got more in the future for you. Uh, but for right now, our focus was on making sure we deliver these webinars uh, effectively and powerfully. And of course, as premium members, we're recording them and we'll be able to share most of them with you. Um, there are some ownership issues on some of the presenters, but you know, we're talking about names like Dustin Schwartz, as I said, Edmonton Oilers old goaltending coach, former Dallas Stars goaltending coach, Mike Valley, uh, Glenn Gulliton, an assistant coach with the Edmonton Oilers on the relationship between a goaltending coach and the staff and how you form a you know, form a strong working relationship. Hockey Canada's Tyler Dietrich is going to show us how to utilize video tools. Uh, we've got Scott Murray of the Washington Capitals. John Stevenson, who you've met through the webinars, has a new webinar presentation he'll be presenting on, on sports psychology of goaltending. Uh, Dave Alexander, Stanley Cup champion with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, and then a number of coaches from the Western Hockey League, Matt Weninger, Ian Gordon, Curtis Mucha, Dan DePalma, uh, all with various presentations, including video that we will get to share with our audience at InGoal Premium, as well as wrapping it all up a hot stove hosted by none other than Darren Millard featuring Jason LaBarbera and one Carter Hart. So that is an action-packed two days. Uh, we're proud to be sponsors. We're proud to be presenting sponsors. Um, we're nervously excited about hosting the whole thing and making sure it goes smoothly. Uh, and we're really excited that we're going to get to share so much of that content with our Ingle Premium members over the next couple of months as we roll it out, um, you know, up to and including those hot stove sessions with a guy like Carter Hart. It's great. It's going to be awesome. It is jam-packed and it's full of knowledge and it's uh, a multi-day uh, presentation. Uh, between the Western Hockey League and Hockey Canada and focusing on goaltending. And uh, between uh, the goalie coaches and the psychologist uh, side and the the head coaching, there's not going to be uh, any stone left unturned. And we'll make sure that uh, that uh, all this, uh, uh, as much as we can, is going to be uh, available for the Ingle Premium uh, subscribers. It's, it's, it's fascinating. There's a couple of uh, presentations in particular that I'm really looking forward to, along with the, the webinar. Yeah, and we made this investment. It is an investment. Just as we invested in webinar technology, we made an investment in this sponsorship with you, the InGoal Premium member in mind. We wanted to, we know that content is king and this was an opportunity for us to access teaching content from some of the best so that we could bring it to you. So, you know, like I said, patience on the webinars over the past couple of weekends. We appreciate it. We promise it will be rewarded. If people want to get involved this weekend, uh, how do they go about doing that? In terms of the, the symposium. symposium itself, yeah. uh, this is a closed environment, uh, closed and limited to the Western Hockey League goalie coaches and the selected goaltending coaches uh, from Hockey Canada that'll be participating from all across, you know, right up to, uh, I know there's some American Hockey League goalie coaches that are on the list from Hockey Canada. Uh, our old pal Rick Wamsley is going to be part of this uh, tuning in. But in terms of everybody, general public watching, they're going to have to wait till we replay it at, at Ingle. It's not something, that it, it's basically a closed door environment. In other words, if you want to see it, eh, you got to wait till after it's done and then hit up Ingle Premium for your membership. Perfect. Uh, and on the subject of content at uh, Ingle Magazine, IngleMag.com, uh, Hutch, 
there's uh, there's some great content coming out regarding uh, parents and goaltenders and supporting our uh, our young athletes. Well, I hope it's great. I had a moment this week that reminded me of ten or eleven years ago when I first hit publish on the first article at Ingle, and I was uh, quite frankly really terrified to put myself out there because you know how the internet can be. Thank heavens there wasn't Twitter back then. Um, and uh, we we've had a number of articles at Ingle Premium from uh, the Ingle goalie dad, who is not me. Uh, goalie dad wanted to remain anonymous because he he just a little worried about putting. Um, the career of his two children out there for everybody to hear about. Uh, he's had to take a bit of a break from writing and um, being the responsible dad, I decided I had to hop in there and provide some some parent content because we hear from a lot of parents, thank you, who listen to this podcast in the car as they're going to the rink or going to school with their sons and daughters and uh, and say they really appreciate the content. But But I felt that there's been a bit of a gap in terms of parent content, except for you two having to hear all about Maddie's experiences here on the podcast. Uh, so so we're going to fill the gap, and I, I published my first article from a parent perspective over at InGoal. Um, I already had one queued up, probably ready for this weekend, when a question came in from one of our listeners just asking me about hockey academies. And uh, in British Columbia, where we are, there's sort of a, a second stream of uh, hockey programs that are outside the minor hockey program. They are pay to play they're uh they're, they're not cheap but they uh endeavor to provide a premium experience and they definitely provide the highest level of competition for a number of kids and uh this parent wanted to know what we thought of hockey academy experiences for goaltenders and and if you're not from british columbia alberta uh and some of the other places across canada where there are academies you know you might substitute do i send my kid to a prep school do i send my kid to another town to live with somebody and play at a higher level um, most of my answers were specific to our province and, and my son's own experience. Um, but, but still it's a, it's a question that a lot of hockey parents face all the time as to what the next step is for their kid, if they want to sort of chase the dream. And, uh, so I have spent a lot of time looking at that and I decided to share my thoughts with the whole audience. Looking forward to, uh, catching up on that. I have a question for you as a, as a goalie parent, do you watch your son's games with the other parents or do you stand off by yourself well most years i'm the the goaltending coach on the team as well um don't generally suggest that parents who have not a lot of experience jump in there and become the goaltending coach but i do have a fair bit of experience so i've been able to do that with my son's team so that's a little different you know this year i was on the bench all the time um I, I think it really depends. I, I have my days that I have to be on my own. I have my days that I can be with the other parents. I do find it really hard to sit when my son yeah. is playing. Um, I do need to sort of get some of that energy out. Um, I asked the question. My I daughter was, was uh, a, a soccer goalkeeper, and and I always had to be at that end and, and by yeah. myself. And it got, as you were talking there, I thought, geez, what, I wonder what, what Hutch is like. I think uh, I think every parent's a little bit different, and and what we'll be talking about in this weekend's article um, has to do with the fact that you know your son or daughter better than anybody else, and and I would say that plays into this decision too. There are times that I want to be near him. There are times I think he needs to be on his own to do his own. What did thing. your parents do? Um, um, I my mother used to sit up in the stands and scream all the time because <laughs> she was scared I was about to get hurt. <laughs> And people would look at her and say, I assume you're the goaltender's mother. 
So I don't do that. Uh, send some comments. <laughs> send us uh, your opinion. If you're a goalie parent, do you do you sit with the other parents or do you do you wander off by yourself? Some people don't want to be around the other parents because if if something not great happens, they you don't want to be yeah. sitting there, oh, dude. I, looking, at I would me. be starting fights with the other parents <laughs> if they're ri- criticizing my kid on a I bad know. goal. Yeah. They, oh, gloves would be off, baby. So maybe it's better that uh, that goalie uh, parents, goalie dads, uh, moms uh, sit off by themselves. Uh, my dad always stood by himself my mom sat with uh with everybody else uh different personalities but uh let us let us know i'm 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 very curious now uh hutch uh what would what would you do if you weren't on the bench well as i say it sort of flows it uh it depends on what i think he needs at the time and and i don't mean in the sense that i need to be there to support him i mean developmentally do we need to take a little time away for him him to not feel like somebody's watching over him um he played a game a few years ago against a powerhouse team. Um, I'm not a shot clock guy. I never sort of count the shots in Woody a game, does. but I saw the score. Huh? Woody does. Yeah. But I saw up on the score clock that they were up into the seventies. And I think our team only had two shots on net because they'd cleared the puck, the length of the ice and it happened to hit the net. Um, that game, I sort of felt like I had to stay off on the side with them. Um, sort of felt bad uh, how it was going, but he had a fantastic game, so it was fun to be there as well. So uh, other times I want to walk away. I, I actually feel the same way about videotaping games. You know, I know some people sort of religiously tape their their kids' games and and let them watch them. Uh, I have times when I I don't want him to even think there might be a camera there, so I don't do it. But there's other times I know he wants to see what he's up to, so I'll tape the game. Um, it, it really does ebb and flow at at the time. I never forget playing a three on three summer league game. And the kids were like, they like a lot of, they were, they were way younger than us and they rope a doped us pretty good. And I was like, I think at one point I said to the ref, if this doesn't slow down, I'm going to have a jam or like, where's the defib out here? Like three on three as an old man is not a good idea. And then at the end of the game, the kid from the other side comes up to him and he goes, and he, and he said some nice things and whatever. And I was dying. And he's like, how do you think I played? And I'm like, Dude, man, I was I was just trying to like keep my head like held up, not watch how you were playing. But great, good job. He's like, oh, okay, well, I'm gonna break down the tape later. My dad's up there in the bar and he's got the video camera out. <laughs> oh, no way. Gosh. So if you guys think I take beer league a little too seriously, exhibit A that I'm not the worst. So I thought that was hilarious. Personally, if I was a parent, I've been to a couple of games, not many, but a couple where I've seen Hutch sort of, you know, behind that where he's not on the bench, where he's behind sort of behind the bench. Or behind the glass yeah. in Maddie's end, but other games where he's up at, where he's up watching from above, I would be behind the other goaltender's net as a parent, s- s- whispering through the crack <laughs> in the glass. Noonan, <laughs> Noonan. <laughs> no, Hutch, Hutch is like really, and and I'm thinking, no, he'd be doing that. That might be the most truthful thing he's uh, he's ever said, uh, Woody, on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Uh, Listen, I know I would be a two things. Terrible coach with my kids. I, I do not help them in minor sports because I do not have the patience for them not being good. And I'm not a good teacher. So at least I'm self-aware of it. I'll be a crappy hockey dad. At least I know. Crappy hockey dad. That There's a t-shirt... Uh, made uh, out there somewhere that 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 you need to buy crappy hockey that's dad. on the front and on the back it says one more yeah. question kevin <laughs> <laughs> uh this week's feature interview scott darling 
and uh, this is a guy that uh, that uh, rose to fame because of uh, his appearance in the Stanley Cup playoffs with the Chicago Blackhawks, part of a Stanley Cup run. But there's been uh, highs and lows uh, along that road, and uh, an incredible journey, uh, wild that uh, from his college days to uh, his first year's pro and and playing in the lower leagues and finally getting that that opportunity. Uh, with an organization that he didn't even belong to. I mean, there's there's so many levels uh, to this onion, uh, Woody, in this conversation with Scott Darling. Not a lot of guys go from the Southern Professional Hockey League to the NHL. Uh, fewer still go from the SPHL to winning a Stanley Cup. And to do so in your hometown, in, 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 a, in, a, in a hockey environment like Chicago, is a guy who grew up loving Eddie Belfour. Like... There are so many threads we could have pulled on here and come away with great stories that uh, I wish we had more. You know, we probably could have gone more time. We'll probably have to have Scott back on again. And the best part, though, is he's just he's just a great he's just a great guy to talk to. And he's you really get fun that sense guy to talk to. Yeah, yeah. And the video quality wasn't great. Maybe we'll show a few clips. Actually, um, Scott has promised us we're going to hook up next week with a, a better video reception. He's actually going to give us a tour of his sort of the, the the office environment or, or and show us all his old masks he had everything he had like gear from the cup run uh he had all the masks he had his bunny in goal magazine bunny larock top backup goaltender in the league trophy was hanging behind him from 2017 um he had i saw whalers themed gear that he'd had done up for the Carolina Hurricanes whalers nights he's going to walk us through all of that and all the specs uh in the coming in the coming weeks at ingolmag.com and for Ingol Premium members. But that sort of relaxed, just hang out with us type feeling is, I hope, what came through in this interview because that's the feeling Scott gives off every time you talk to him. You just feel like you're sitting around chatting with a really good guy who also happens to have won the greatest prize in hockey. You will hear all about uh, the impact of the uh, COVID pause on both his uh, professional and personal life. Uh, in this conversation. But uh, before we get into it, uh, just the relationship and the way things work and the synergy and how small the goalie world is, uh, Woody, his first set of gear comes from Source for Sports, uh, the hockey shop. We're pretty sure because when you hear him describe that trip up to yeah. Vancouver, he's, he's originally from Washington State, just across the currently closed border. But when he started describing that trip and going to the store with all this goalie equipment, you I'm almost like, burst out of your skin. I was doing the math. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was doing the math. I'm looking at his birthday because I mean, I'm, I'm an old man, so I had to double check these things. I'm like, oh, for sure, that's the hockey shop. Not at their current location, but I'm like, that's got to be the hot. There was no other sort of, you know, like place like that in Vancouver. There still isn't. And so I was like, that's got to be. And I, so the only downside is COVID's taking them away from us uh, right now as a sponsor. But I was like, talk about the ultimate plug. He got his start in goal. Forget the SPHL, the hockey shop with his first fe- first set of gear, the old Felix Pot. I'll let him tell the story. I'm sharing too much now, but I thought that was an awesome small world. Yeah, moment. I just uh, the uh, the the complete journey of 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 that and the tie in between uh, in goal mag ingolmag.com uh, and this podcast is is phenomenal with Source for Sports, the hockey shop in Surrey, and uh, and Scott Darling. Here is the feature interview, and it is a. Uh, it's a journey, and it's fun, and uh, and if you like dogs, you like it even more. Uh, this is Scott Darling with Kevin Woodley on Ingoal Radio, the podcast.
Well, this is kind of a treat. It's been far too long since we've had a chance to catch up uh, at the rink. Scott Darling uh, coming into the Ingle Radio podcast live from Chicago, where I guess the first question is, because I've seen it all over social media, like celebration time a little bit, like nostalgia. I'm seeing a lot of stuff about the anniversary of the Stanley Cup championship there. Um, what's it like for you being in the city, even though it's a weird time? And, and sort of reliving some of these celebrations, maybe even more so than you would if, if we weren't in COVID, if there was live sport. Yeah, I mean, it's been, again, great to see you. It's been a minute. Um, thanks for having me. And yeah, it's been cool. You know, like they aired game one on like Chicago's local station yesterday. And I didn't even know it was like the anniversary of when we won the cup five years ago. Um, but it just brings you back and it reminds you of like that whole time, that whole year being a part of that team, the guys, and, you know, eventually winning a Stanley Cup. And it just, you know, for me, I'm just like, it blows me away that I, that, that happened to me, you know? Um, so it's been cool to watch and kind of reminisce, you know, look through old pictures, like the week after the things we did and stuff like that. So it's been pretty cool. I was going to say, like, like as, as much as that was, I mean, winning a cup is the ultimate as a hockey player. To do it in your situation in your hometown, like that's, you know, like that's little kid dreaming, you know, playing driveway hockey, whatever ball. Like that's, that's the stuff of dreams and frankly, storybooks. Is that how much more did it mean to do it as a Chicago guy? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's incredible. I'm still a diehard Blackhawks fan. I have been my whole life. I grew up, you know, watching at Belfour and going to the games and, you know, um, and then to be a part of it. Like I watched the first two as a fan, you know what I mean? And then to be a part of the third one and then just everything that comes with it, not only winning, but like the next day you're walking on Wrigley's field and I'm a huge Cubs fan. And, you know, your family's on the bus with you in the parade when before my family was in the crowd for the parade, you know, just stuff like that. And remembering all that, just like, like I, you can't even put in the words, like how grateful I am for that entire experience. Okay, so let's go back to that experience a little bit because, I mean, we don't let people forget, but maybe maybe some of our listeners don't remember how crucial a role you played in it. And I think there are probably some lessons and takeaways, not to jump right into takeaways, but you come into the, you come into the you come into that early series against Nashville and help the Blackhawks get through. Corey Crawford, one of our all time favorites here, and a guy who I think deserves a lot more respect than sometimes he gets on the outside in the goalie uh, world, he gets yeah. it. Yeah. But he had it. I mean, he didn't have a great start. You come. What? What about your mindset and your approach allowed you to come into cold into that situation and that rivalry and have success? Because I think there's probably a lot of goalies that would love to whatever you did there, be able to bottle that if they ever get thrown into a situation. Obviously, not in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but any situation where you know it was a little bit of a surprise or it wasn't what you expected. How do you prepare for it? Yeah, I think that's the word right there. I was prepared. Like I was, I was in game shape. I was, I I prepared for every game. Like I was going to play, you know? And so, you know, I was ready for it. I mean, mentally it was tough. Like it was overwhelming. And I, I like to say that I'm lucky I was so young. And I was just like scared to let the team down. So that like elevated me. Um, cause it was only my 14th NHL game that game. And I think it's more about the preparation. Like I was ready, you know, I was game ready, ready to go. 
And I, I always prepared like that. And so I think that was a big part. But I also think I was a little naive and I didn't understand what I was stepping into. And that helped a little bit. Now, are there were there any things you fell back on? Because like you said, I mean, okay, so you played 14 games that year, your first 14 in the NHL, but you've been a pro for a while. You've been in other situations. Again, not the same spotlight, not the same stage, but was there anything you'd, any tools you'd used, whether it's mentally or a routine you used to get ready to play that you went back to that sort of grounded you like, yes, I know this is a massive stage, but if I approach it the same way, I can handle it? Or was it, was it just not knowing better? Well, I mean, I wish I could give you a better answer, but until that point in my career, the, uh, I mean, that was my fifth year pro, I think. Yeah. I had never been on like a, a playoff team ever. So your first so that was experience. Like my, honestly, that was my first playoff game since juniors. Uh, good, good, I, good job on the, good job on the homework by me, but wow. That's yeah. a hell. That's a hell of a moment. So what? Like, so, I mean, and I, I joke that I don't even remember the game. I was I was so high on adrenaline. I don't remember playing that game. And yeah, people probably don't know that, but I never played in a playoff game for since I was nineteen until then. And boom, here you go, Nashville Predators. One of the. I, I mean, I don't know if that rivalry's faded. When I was when I was twenty, I played one playoff game against BU and got crushed. But other than that, I I hadn't played. Hadn't played a pro playoff game until that one. Wow. And and like I said, Nashville, like one of the biggest rivals at the time of the Blackhawks and down in the city, like, holy smokes. Yeah. And the year before I played for Milwaukee, so all my former teammates were on the other team. Any like, benefits there? Was there, I mean, any, any, no, could you take any comfort in knowing shooters or tendencies at all, having been on the other side? No, maybe it just ramped me up a little bit that like I really didn't want Forsberg to score on me because we were roommates the year before, like in a hotel room and like we're like great friends, you know, and like really dialing it in on those guys so that they couldn't hold that over my head the rest of my life. But he did a hat trick on me in game five, so you know, whatever. I mean I mean it's Forsberg, right? So <laughs> those are some nasty handles. Um okay, so the other part of that is you had you'd been up with the Blackhawks for parts of that season. You played the fourteen games, had success, so you had that, like you said, under your belt, that comfort level, and, and you were playing well and you were prepared. But you talk about being prepared to go into a game, the life of of a backup, which was the role you'd serve for the most part to that point, is not one that often lets you prepare for games. Or guys have to find ways to feel prepared for games because there is an element of you know target to that job. How yeah. did you balance that at different that year, but even at different points throughout your career, Scott? Because we get this a lot where, uh, you know, I get stuck in to do the drills that nobody wants to do and, and things like that. Are there ways you can manage that to make sure you're still working on your craft and, and still being there for the guys? And then, like you said, ready to play in a playoff game like this? Yeah, I mean, on that point, I'd have to tip my hat to my goalie coach, Jimmy Wade, at the time, because like he made sure that we had our time to do the real work, you know, like goalie work. I was out before practice every day, you know, at life of a backup, you're first on last off. Right. And, you know, I did that for three years in Chicago and even into Carolina, I still kind of did the same thing. But so he did a great job of like keeping me ready that way. And then obviously, you know, you kind of got to do the work that you don't want to do in practice and, you know, have the bullseye on your head the whole time and stay after with the scratches and do all that. 
So, I mean, the only thing I was worried about was like my energy level because, you know, as a backup, you get bagged like every day. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but, you know, that's the life that you chose. And I, I don't complain. I loved it. But, you know, once, you know, got into like me playing, I'm like, hey, I can't, I can't do the extra 45 minutes a day. I need to save my energy for the games kind of thing. So, but the coaches were great and Jimmy was great at making sure, like even leading up to that before the playoffs, making sure we still had our goalie time before practice to really work on what I needed to work on and what Corey needed to work on. Now, I, I know that evolves over time when you talk about what I needed to work on. Our foundation as goalies, I think, evolves over time, no matter what level you're at. Do you remember maybe back then or even now, are there drills that sort of, you know, hey, if I do this and I'm feeling good about this part of my game, I can translate that into a game? Do, do, are you one of those guys that sort of finds a few staples or whether it's crease movement or, or a particular shooting drill where it's just like, hey, this is me. This is what this is what gets me into my game. And is it important as you move around organizations since Chicago to make sure each goalie coach sort of knows, hey, this is how I prepare. Let's work together to get there. Yeah, it's great to have that conversation, like the open relationship. Like when I went to Carolina, like I had a say in with Mike Bales coming in because I knew him when I played in Volksburg. I loved working with him because like you need to have that dialogue. I didn't want to work with like a tyrant who told me what to do because like every goal is unique. And I, I'm like, I think I'm actually unique because I'm so big and I'm not like, I don't play like Ben Bishop, you know, like I'm not a, a take up space kind of use my body type of guy. I'm just kind of like, I like to call myself a bad Pecorino. That's what I am. <laughs> and because I'm not Pecorino, I, I, I attempt to be Pecorino without the great glove hand. Um, but yeah, I have my staples that like make me feel good and make me feel comfortable. Um, but for me, I, I like to watch a lot of video and I look for trends. I look for trends, even, even if it's not a goal, like the way I make saves, like if I'm doing something wrong, I could talk to Jimmy and be like, I've seen this happening a few times. Like, let's work on this. And then the goals too, if like there's a trend in the goals in my last five games, like let's create some drills to work on this. Um, and so that's kind of how we operated. Can you give me an example of a trend? Like, you're, I mean, obviously it's way back, but uh, like where you spotted, like, are you mean like, like, hey, like I'm getting beat on, you know, a short side walk off the wall from the dot or the top know, of low head, high plays or? I remember one time where uh, I was getting beat. It was like five games. There's like three goals where it's low to high, like a pass from below the goal line. And I'm drifting out. I'm not getting my feet set, you know? And so I was drifting and I couldn't react as fast as I wanted to. And so like, that's an example of like, we just did low to high plays for like a couple practices, you know, in our goalie time, um, just stuff like that. And feet set is such an important part of it, right? It, it doesn't take much drift to the difference between even a little bit of drift is that yeah. release is coming and being set. I'm guessing for, we've heard this a lot lately. That is, that's the answer for a lot of guys. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and just getting that muscle memory, doing it a hundred times, like digging in, not drifting, and it, you know, just it. That's that's kind of how we work, and that's how. And I, I know there's other examples. I can't think of off the top of my head, but that's kind of what we did. And you know, you just do that a hundred times over three or four days, and it's like built right back into you that that's what you need to do when when you're not thinking in a game. Your body just needs to know what to do. 
So how much video did you do you still watch uh, of yourself? Did you watch then? Like, is it is this taking it upon yourself to sort of be your own goalie coach, know your own game, look for those patterns and those trends? Well, I mean, the NHL is pretty, it's, it's pretty good. Like we do a lot of video. Um, they make it easy for you to find it. Eh? Yeah, they make it pretty easy for you. They set you up for success is what I like to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, this past year was tough. I was playing in Austria. We don't have the same angles, the same access and stuff like that. So like I literally couldn't really watch my games. So it was different. But in the NHL, it's pretty, pretty easy to like, they send you all your clips and you go over with your goalie coach and just run through everything. Every time you touch the puck, the whole game, whether it's playing the puck, making a save goals. And you do that. I mean, after every game, you're, you're logging in. There it is. It's all laid out for you. Yeah. That's like young goaltenders dreams. Yeah. I know. And then you have it for yourself too. So like, cause I was like crazy about it. So I'd watch it with Jimmy or Mike and then I'd go home and watch it 10 more times myself. Now, could that, did you have to find a line there, Scott? Because sometimes, you know, what's the phrase? Paralysis by analysis. Can you think too much about your game and, and get a little vapor locked by it? Or, or was it yeah. always, was, was more information always a good thing for you? No, it wasn't always a good thing. Um, I think as I got older, I started to like let go a little bit more. Because like you need to have like work-life separation, right? You can't be obsessed about it, especially as a backup when you only play once every two weeks, you can't be obsessed for the 14 days in between your games. You know what I mean? So like I started off that way. And then I think after my second year, I was like, I need to like calm down because like, I want to have a life too. And then, I mean, my third year was my best NHL season after I kind of like did that. Learn to let it leave it at the rink at times. So you see, you can still do the work, but there's yeah. a, there must be a point where it becomes counterproductive. Yeah, I agree with that. For me, that's, I mean. that's I, now speaking of video, you're getting to watch all this video and all these games being replayed. Like you said, as a fan, as they go, it sounds like they're you said they're going through the series. Obviously, we were just the anniversary of the cup win was just the other day. Yeah. You, have you been watching throughout or you just started like what's the feeling of watching yourself play like do you put yourself in fan mode if you watch those games against nashville um are you making saves on the couch man no i'm critiquing myself really i was watching last night with my fiance and i was like ah, bad rebound bad rebound because <laughs> like, i've actually never watched it like the whole thing i've seen the clips but I've never watched it like the whole game with the spec. I mean, with the commentating and everything like that. So, yeah, it, it's it's a unique experience. It's it's kind of funny because they they just did the other two, the ten and thirteen series, and I didn't really watch any of those. But I mean, obviously now in times we're missing sports a lot, and this one I'm actually involved in. So I'm like, okay, like I'll watch. And but yeah, I'm like on the opposite. I'm like, you know, should have. Should have done this. Should have done this. You know. I was gonna say most guys are probably listening to see if they were taking too much crap from the uh, from the commentators. You're actually giving yourself more crap than the commentators probably are. Oh, Eddie Olchuk and Pat Foley loved me. We're boys. They were always good to me. <laughs> nice. So what what are you up to now? And 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 obviously, you know, part of that question uh, we we can't avoid it right now with everything that's going on with COVID. Like, how have you been directly impacted? Not just 
day to day, but you know, personal life, but in terms of, you know, planning for the future, I, I saw on Instagram, you just managed to get out on the ice recently, probably for the first time. Um, you know, catch us up with what, what you're up to and where you're at and how, how this yeah. has affected it. We'll go hockey first, life second. Um, so yeah, I just had my first skate. Um, and now it's time to like start really getting into it and finding guys to shoot and stuff like that. But lucky for me, my fiance and her twin were both D1 hockey players. So they came out and shot on me. Um, so we had a lot of fun with that. And like I said on Instagram, the first skate's always the hardest. Let them take a thousand breakaways on me. I was dying afterwards. Um, but it affects me because I want to play in the US next year. But obviously, they have bigger fish to fry right now than signing a two, three, four goalie for their system. So, you know, it's kind of a wait and see and planning for the future. So that's another aspect that COVID's affected me. Um, but I'm happy that they have their plan to play and like they're getting going again. It'll be weird to watch hockey with no fans. Um, and I'm sure it'll be tough for the players too. Like I couldn't imagine really doing that. Um, but yeah, personal life, I had to cancel a wedding. That's, um, that's kind of a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big um, one. So we had to call an audible. We rented an RV. We're driving out to Montana. We rented an RV for the month of July. And we're just going to go out west with the dog and elope and try and make lemonade out of lemons. Um, so we're excited about that. It doesn't sound like a bad alternative plan. Although I hope the RV, I having seen Moose on Instagram, I'm hoping the RV is a big one. Uh, yeah. 29 footer it should fit moose and then like we talked about off air i'm getting another great dane and i'm picking him up in utah so it kind of just worked out perfectly it's on our way so we get to pick up gary in utah and i'm excited about that i'm excited to get married excited for a little adventure because we've been cooped up uh in the house i like to say we're double quarantined because my fiance is a covid testing nurse wow so that's what she does. So we try and stay away from people as much as we can. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I mean, you're getting a taste of what the front lines are, are really like there and probably have a better, I don't know how to say better, but you have a more firsthand perspective than a lot of us in terms of just how serious this can be. Yeah, firsthand and, you know, um, more knowledge too, because she knows so much about it and she can like inform me about what we need to do and like how to stay safe and stuff like that. Obviously things are slowing down and I'm happy the world's starting to kind of go back to normal. I don't think it'll ever go back to normal, but it's a little more normal than it was. So that's been nice. And it's nice to feel comfortable getting out. Like we rollerblade like three times a day. That's like all we do. We just rip around the city. Um, but yeah, so it's nice to be able to get outside. And yeah, other than that, we've just kind of been cooped up with our, with our horse. How do you manage like... What's the thought process, like you said, in terms of the future and wanting to come back to the States and looking for a contract? You know, like I know this, like even from a goalie coach perspective, talking to guys, there are some openings, but teams are saying we're not even going to interview till October, November because they're yeah. not anticipating a season till January. So do you just, I guess, if I'm assuming you're not going back to Europe, if you're, if you're doing the trip in July, are you just going to kind of gear towards getting ready for a January season and, and, and approach it that way? Or do you consider going to Europe? These are yeah, a lot of tough it. questions for guys. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Like for me, I'm, I'm very comfortable with the career I've had. I've played pro for 10 years. I'm not too stressed out about, you know, 
what it's going to look like from here on out. Um, but I, I do have offers in Europe, but I'm saying no for now. Um, and if October, November comes around and I don't have anything that I like here in the U.S., it's like you can join the second wave of Europe like I did last year. I went in November um, and do that. So I'm just going to get ready for a hockey season and be ready to go. And hopefully something good domestic comes my way. But if not, you know, maybe um, see another country, go play in Germany or Sweden or something like that. I was going to say, especially if you're if you're targeting that sort of like I think October November is when you may have decisions being made, maybe geared towards the January season on in North America. And again, not, we don't know for sure, but right. at least that provides you the guys I've talked to over the last little while. The hardest thing about the first month and a half of after the season was canceled is they felt like they had one foot in and one foot out, and they didn't know what to prepare for. At least this way, you can go away in July. You can go do your things and sort of target that October in terms of ramping up physically and being ready yeah. for when those opportunities. Cause like, I still, I still work out all the time, but like, you know, like on ice in shape is like a completely different thing. Like I was sucking wind when I skated the other day and I was like, I've been riding the Peloton five days a week, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, the timeline is kind of ideal because I'm okay with waiting and seeing what's out there. And then, you know, like I said, if, I'll really start ramping up the skating in September, October. And then if something good does come up in the U.S., then I'm ready to rock. Like, let's go. But also, if I need to get on a plane the next day and go to Moscow, ready to go. So we'll see what shakes out. What was that experience like in, in Austria last year? Like you said, I mean, you can approach these a lot of different ways. It seems like you have the right mindset. The guys I've talked to that have gone over at various points in their career, there's an opportunity to keep playing be a pro, earn relative to Joe Blow good money, and see things that you might not otherwise get to see. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I, I'm a big travel guy. Um, and the reason I went to Innsbruck, I had offers all over the world, was because I had, I had driven through it two years prior on a European trip with my fiance. Um, and it's the most beautiful city that it it's like... I, I now say Austria is like an underrated, it's like a hidden gem in the world. The country is so beautiful. You know, we lived in the Austrian Alps. She came over, the dog came over, like we just had a great time. The guys were great. And it's, it's a new thing too to play in Europe where like the imports have to be friends because there's 10 of us and the rest of the guys are local Austrian guys. And it's like that in every country. So we got like really close. I met a lot of great guys and we, we had a great time. Our, our team was you know, a little below average, but I enjoyed the experience and I'm very happy I went. Style of hockey and any different, any takeaways from a goaltending perspective? You know, you, you made the joke about the, the Pecorine thing. I remember talking to him after one of the lockouts where he went to the KHL and he's just like, never again. The reads were so different. The game was so different. And yet we it, see guys it, now come back from the KHL and they feel like the patience required to play in that pass, 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 dust it off and pass one more time. League. It, drove nuts, man. it drove me nuts. It took me like five games to get used to it because like, I just keep, I can't, the thought in my head of like, why didn't he shoot? You know, like who would pass right now? You know what I mean? Cause I'm trained, I'm trained in North American hockey and this guy would have a breakaway and he'd pass the puck. And I would like, 
I was blown away. After like four or five games, I got the hang of it to just like trust nothing and just like, you know, like don't, don't try and think into the future because like you don't know what these guys are going to do. It's like playing like low level shinny that's like, you know, two on ones, three, three on ones, and they're looking for the fourth guy as the trailer. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. I remember my first game was in Italy. There's a team in Italy in the league and I was just like, I was just like dumbfounded on some of the like plays that happened. Like I played well, we lost three to two, but like I, I just remember like biting on everything. <laughs> you know, like two on two on one, the D completely has the other guy. This guy basically has a breakaway. And I'm like, oh no way, he's not shooting. I'm like dialed in on him and he tries to sauce it through to the other guy. I'm like, what are you doing? It reminds me of uh, playing a charity event and having Hendrick Sedin on a breakaway. And I should have known that he was going to deke to one side and then try and pass to the other because he's Hendrick Sedin. But I, you would never expect that at in an actual pro game playing yeah, versus yeah. a charity game. Oh, yeah. man. And I hear a lot of those stories. As you get adjusted to it, though, can you find positives? Because if there's one thing we've seen in the North American game and the NHL game is that, you know, we we're talking to Braden Holpe a couple of weeks ago for a webinar we did, and it, it's it's not just East-West anymore. It's East-West-East. And you have yeah. to be able to beat plays mostly on your feet whenever you can in order to keep up with this game. The patience required to wait things out over there, as much as it's not the same game, can you find benefits that you think you could bring back to North America if you get that opportunity? Well, I think it's the things that you learn there are for there. Okay. So like for me, I had to like change my depth, you know, like, you know, six inches back, but then you also pick up tricks. Like you look up the roster, who are the North Americans know who they are. They're going to shoot. The Austrians are going to pass, you know, stuff like that. And so you learn little tricks, but I mean, I would say it might've helped my footwork a little bit, just like, you know, back and back and forth so much, which would obviously help me here too. Um, but I would have to adjust. A I can take my six inches back because you know you know what everyone's doing, and you can plan off like where your D is and everything. So um, yeah, I just remember being so frustrated like the first couple of games. <laughs> yeah, we we've we've de- you're definitely not the first one to share those frustrations from a goalie standpoint going over there. Yeah, um, I was in the Enroth when I went over. Um, and he was like warning me, like telling me, he's like, you know, this is how it's going to be. And, you know, don't freak out. Like you'll get the hang of it. <laughs> oh man. Um, let's, let's, let's slide it back here a little bit, like rewind quite a bit. Cause obviously every time we've talked, I feel like I come away learning things and just enjoying the conversation about the position. How'd you fall in love with it? first what 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 drew you to goaltending how did scott darling end up between the pipes uh my dad was a goalie okay so when i was a kid i used to go watch him play um men's league you know and so that was the initial and then i loved the gear i you know loved it when i was a little kid we we lived in like washington state like kind of by seattle and he took me up to vancouver and took me to like this huge goalie store. I was probably five years old to get my first like real set of gear myself. They were like Felix Potvin replica cohos. And like since then, I've been a gear fanatic and just like a goalie nerd. Oh, you, you want to hear a funny story? I, I'm trying to do the math. So like, so we're talking like mid 90s there, right? It would have been like 94. Yeah, right around. The, yeah. You know what, man? Like that is probably... 
they're on a little hiatus right now because the world is paused, including business. But that, yeah. that that's our that's that's the hockey shop source for sports. That is almost I, um, yeah, almost guaranteed that that was the sponsors yeah. of this podcast out of the gate. That, well, there you go. There's a free free ad. For there you, you go. Remember, it was source for sports. Oh, and that's hilarious. I was like five or six, and I like I sucked at forward. I played forward from three to five. I was useless. And then they put me in the net. We had like a team where like you traded who played goalie and they're like, yeah, you're better off. You just stay there. And, and then once I actually just consistently started playing goalie, it took me up there because we lived in Tacoma at the time. And yeah, I got those cool maple leaf pocket or Pogden pads. And I've been like a goalie gear freak ever since. That's awesome. Now, the progression from there, once you fall in love with it, once you start playing goaltending exclusively, was there a guy you emulated on the ice? At what point did, because we see it nowadays, Scott, you kind of would have been right around the beginning of this trend where, you know, goalie coaches at a really young age, guys working with position specific coaches and specialists as young as six and seven, were you just out there playing? When did it become something where, you know, other people were introducing technical elements to you where you started thinking the game differently versus maybe just imitating a guy on TV. And and if it was a guy on TV, who was it? Was it Belfort? Well, my, my guy was at Belfort. Oh, yeah. Big fan. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I was younger, I didn't really have like a goalie coach. If it, it was anyone, it was my dad who was my goalie coach. And then, um, but I mean, even until I was 29, he'd say, why don't you just stand up on the post, you know? <laughs> like, Marty Broder did it, you know. I'm like, no, Dad, it's called the reverse VH, okay? Um, now, listen, does your dad have a lot of accounts on Twitter? Because we see a lot of that on Twitter. Yeah, no. Why doesn't he just stand up? Well, we yeah. invent post integration was invented for a reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then when I was probably 14, I think, I started going out to the East Coast every summer to stop at goaltending. Um, and I did that for. I did the two week camp for until I was 18. And then I, I got so close with Brian DeCord and the people who worked there that I started living out there and working at the camp from 19 until 26, probably. Nice. Pretty much until I won the cup, I'd stay out there for two months and I'd work there and then spend, um, spend your summers. Cause nice. like Corey Snyder is like, he's like the staple guy there. And like, yeah. He's like a, a his goalie mind is next level. So like I love skating with him, and then it was like me, him, and Mike Condon, and we were like that was our little crew. And Joe Canada skated there. Um, There's a lot of guys that came out of that. That's I was gonna say out, out of that school. Uh, stopped yeah. Brian Decor. Yeah, I mean, Raycroft went there. Like when I was when I was younger, it was like being able to be on the ice with all these D one goalies for me was like you know crazy. Um, you're 14, you're on the ice with, you know, the goalie from Michigan, BC, Miami, Ohio, Boston, you know, everything. And so, and then, you know, it was cool to see it come full circle where you're the guy who's out there. Cause like when I remember the first time I went, I was like, is that Andrew Raycroft? Like the actual Andrew Raycroft, like rookie of the year, Boston Bruins. Um, and then, you know, you come back the next summer, like I, I still did it. I think until last year was the first year I didn't live out there. Um, two years ago, actually. 
Um, you win the cup and you come back and you're that guy and you're out there teaching the kids and like, they're all staring at you like kind of funny, like the way I used to stare at like Razor kind of funny. And like you stare at Corey kind of funny like that. Just like, you know, so it, it was a cool, like full circle experience. Mean that much more having been on the other end of it, knowing what those kids are going through and, and, and yeah, how they're feeling. Like me, like I, I'm not like, I don't like that. I don't know how to say it. Like I don't, I don't see myself like that. So right. like, I would always like make sure I talk, like made the kids talk to me, you know, like just to like let them know, like it's cool, man. I get it. Like you don't have to feel weird. Like we can hang. Um, so it, it was fun. I did it for I think 13 years that we stopped it. So starting instru- like obviously getting lessons and work, but also working as an instructor. Yeah, I mean you're playing in the Southern Pro League, and it's like you need a job in the summer. So it's like, okay, season's over. I'm moving to Boston. I'm a goalie coach for the summer. And then, you know, the way the DAC operates, like you work for him, you get a discounted rate to train. And like, you know, so it's kind of a good trade off and housing and everything. So like it was a perfect setup for me for years until I was like a grown up and could like support myself. Now, you talked about the SPHL. Who are from there? to the NHL and that path. Who are some of the guys, you know, obviously Brian was a huge one, big part of it. And obviously for, for those that don't know, Brian Decord, I mean, doesn't take much of a Google search. He's got a, he's got a book on goaltending, currently works with the Toronto Maple Leafs, founder of Stop at Goaltending. So like want to make sure we give a good plug there. Uh, always been very kind to us and generous with his time. Um, but who are some of the other, like working with him, any other voices along that path to go from there and through the ranks, CHL, East Coast, AHL and move up? Who are some of the, was there anything that changed in your game through different voices? What were some of the guiding influences and takeaways where you're like, this was a really big step for me and it came from this? Or was it just yeah, all I mean, gradual? Yeah, Dak was a big one through the lower levels. Um, I mean, outside of just bolting, like my agent was great. You know, he's a big time agent, independent guy. And like, usually when you're in the SP, like, it's like they don't pick up the phone anymore. And like he was always there for me, so he was huge. And then like some coaches along the way, like Clark Donatelli and Wheeling, Dean Evanson in Milwaukee. And then Dak helped me link up with Mitch Korn. Right. And I sent my two-way deal with Milwaukee and Cincinnati. And then I got to work with Mitch. I got to go to Nashville camp. And like to this day, Mitch and I are still tight. Like I'm an ear of corn, as he likes to say. Um uh he was huge for me, a big advocate for me. Um you know, that year in Milwaukee was my, was my like stepping stone because Pekka got hurt. So I was in Cincinnati. I got bumped up to Milwaukee, you know, and 20, 20 just for people to know 2013, 14. Yeah. 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 And so even though I wasn't a Nashville product, like, or whatever you want to call it. Signing. I, yeah. Um, my coach, Dean Evanson, let me play and you know, that, year I led the AHL in every stat other than games played and wins because I only got to play 26 games. So Dean was great to me and Mitch was great to me. Um, and that's the year when it all happened. That's the year when I got my first NHL offers from a bunch of teams. And that's the year I got to sign with the Hawks after that season. Do you remember anything changing about, it was it just approach or like you said, just a constant buildup and it was about opportunity and being ready to take it or were there was there, was there any little tidbit where you're like, hey, this piece of advice or I changed how I, I changed my depth management or anything like that? Or was it just like you said, just a 
a constant gradual thing and now you got this opportunity and you were ready to take advantage of it yeah it was, it was gradual yeah. um but then even the next year when i started in rockford one of my favorite bowling coaches i've ever had is andrew allen he's the man like i love that guy we had we had so much fun because we had michael layton who was at that time 12 years pro nhl khl name it like he's done it all so it was me Layton and Andrew Allen, like we sat in the video room for hours, just like not only talking goaltending, but just like chopping it up. And like, and then we got to talk about every goalie coach that Mike worked with throughout his career because he played for so many different teams. And like, and Andrew was so much fun to work with. And like, he was the best at like a dialogue, like, tell me why you think you should do this and I'll tell you why. And like, our back and forth was unbelievable. And like, he really got me prepared that season for my time with the Blackhawks. I was going to say, I, he's one of our favorites as well. And a guy we've had every time, again, every time, especially when he was with the Sabres, they would come through, he'd make the time. And, you know, one of those guys where you have a conversation and you're always learning something about yeah. goaltending. And that's, I'll, those I'll are my... And just the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I love that guy. Now, it's funny because you mentioned Leighton and one of the conversations I remember having with him probably a little bit before then was because he went through some stretches where he bounced around. And yeah. that can be... You talk about these dialogues with goalie coaches, that can be one of the challenges when you get moved around is each new guy feels like they want to add something. You're caught between this is my foundation and that might pull me away from it. And but this guy wants me to do it. And he's the one that makes the decision on whether I start. That can be it. Those can be finding that balance as a goaltender and finding the relationships that work or finding the relationships that work are important. Finding that balance with a guy where it might not be perfect. That can be tough. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm very fortunate. I think the biggest run-in I ever had was with Jimmy in Chicago. My first camp, I showed up with the, the, I don't know if you've seen the pictures, like my first set of equipment from when I was in Chicago was like all red sock graphic with yeah. like the one black. He made me switch to white. So I, I reversed it into white pads because, you know, he's French Canadian, you know, like all that. And I think that was the biggest thing. I was like, okay, I don't want to be mad at me. I'll switch my gear. <laughs> but other than that, my goalie coach has been great to me. Well, the, hey, there are some teams in the NHL where it's like they have rules about certain parts of the pads got to be white. So, yeah. I mean, well, that was the first time I ever heard of it. I was like, oh, am I in trouble? <laughs> Meanwhile, you're a gear guy throughout all this. You got Chris Joswiak setting you up with sweet Brian sets, and you got to change the color out. That can't be fun. Do you take pride in having a look that? That that you know jumps that did you do you do you go yeah. back with Jaws? Do you do your own designs? Do you try to oh, come yeah. up with new things? Uh, Jaws is the best man. I, I say I'm Brian's for life because when I was playing in Wheeling in the East Coast League, I was on an ECHL contract. I couldn't afford new gear. My team wouldn't buy me gear, and I knew Jaws. And I I texted him and I was like, hey, like I need a favor. Like, I know it doesn't look good right now. And I said this to him. I was like, but I'm on my way up. I promise. Like, I will wear Brian's the rest of my life if you if you help me. And he sent me a free set of pads. And I'm Brian's for life and have been ever since. And, like, him and I are tight. He's a man. And he's super creative. Like, I always wear the initial graphic for my first set. But then him and I just, like, brainstorm, like, what can we do for, like, the other ones for the season? And, like always comes up with cool stuff like even this year for europe like we had to get creative because of the logos that they put on the pads right i look like a christmas tree this season 
with my red pads and this big green sticker down the front, some like gas company in Austria or something. Um, now, he probably would have found a way to make it work. Uh, they actually make a Scott Darling spec glove. Did you even know that your spec had become a thing? Like, I think it's actually a stock model now with the square yeah. off edge yeah. of the glove. Yeah, I worked on that like big time. How, can you walk me through that process, uh, you know, as much as you can in terms of, you know, what it was like to sort of, this is what I need in my glove and working with a guy like Jaws t- to go from, yeah. this is I'm, what I feel to this is now a glove that they make and sell at retail. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, because... For me, I had a hard time switching because I wore Brian's pads and blocker, but I wore a Bond glove okay. all the way up until the NHL. Because Jeff Zadkoff gave me one of his gloves when I played in Wilkes with him, and it was the best glove ever. And, you know, once I got to the NHL and you're talking about having like a sponsorship agreement, stuff like that, and I just said, Josh, make me this glove. And like, it took about 12 tries. I have, I guess, a pile of gloves in my house. But then he got it right, and they, they nailed it. And then now that's the one. It was like a uh, newer, better version of the old Bond Vision. Like, I think it's like the 7750 or something. 7700 probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so we, like went through like, you know, trial and error and like made that one better. And that's the model that they, they use now. So shout out to Jeff Zakoff for making that because he had like a custom version of that love, you know? So, so, and so, so and now you're, you've been immortalized in, in goalie gear culture history. Yeah. I mean, what more can you ask for? Name on the cup, glove, glove that has your name on it as the darling spec. Yeah. That's Good it. Die, happy man. <laughs> Um, hey, listen, I just wanted to, I mean, we've been on here a long time already and I've, there's so many great, so many great takeaways that I know young goalies are going to jump all over. Um, just wanted to catch up on the last couple of years before Austria, like, you know, going from Chicago to Carolina as a free agent, you were probably highly sought after, or you never really got there because you got traded and, and signed the deal. Like, what was that process like? How tough was that? Especially when you had... We just talked about winning a cup in your hometown to get to do all of this in your hometown and then to have to leave sort of, I don't want to say comfort, but everything that was sort of built into Chicago for you. Was that, that a tough part of the process? What, uh, yeah, it was, how do you it look was, back? It was tough. I mean, I wanted to stay in Chicago, obviously, but, um, some guy named Crawford. Yeah. This terrible goalie named Corey Crawford ruined my life, but no, uh, I, I knew it was coming, but the day I got the phone call, I got traded. It was, it was a shock. You know, I'm sitting there eating lunch and Stan Bowman calls me. And then you find out you're going to Carolina. And then you have a whole other list of questions that come up because you're like, okay, I have a month until free agency and I, I could be a free agent. And it's like, you go down that rabbit hole with your agent. Like, what do you want to do? There's other teams that are interested. Do you want to risk it? You know, cause that summer it was like me and Bish were like, we were the two like goalies on the market that people were talking to. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, you, you start doing the contract stuff. And I mean, for me, I, I played for the Louisiana ice skaters, you know? So like, I'm just so thrilled that like the Carolina hurricanes want me to be on their team enough to trade for me and offer me a contract. And, you know, I was like, you know, that's it. It's good enough for me. Um, so yeah, I signed there and then, Moved out to Raleigh and, you know, 
say things didn't go great. Um, that first season, I kind of just like got off to a bad start and I never caught up. Um, that's how I explained the first season. Cause I, I started trying too hard. And then I was like, the example I use is like uh quicksand, the harder you fight, the faster you sink kind of thing. And that's how I tried my first year there. And that's, that's like, that's goaltending, right? Like you can't, we don't get to dictate the play. We don't get to, you can't go out and throw a big hit to get you into a game. Like that's the hardest yeah. part about this is the harder you try, usually the worse it goes. It's, it's, oh, yeah. it's tough. It's going to be comfortable. I was overdoing it. I was forcing stuff and I, I wasn't playing with myself. Um, and then the next summer is the first summer I didn't train with Dak. I stayed in Raleigh and like got in the best shape of my life and trained harder than I've ever trained. And I'm feeling great. Training camp's going great. Last game of training camp, I tear my hamstring. And while I'm injured, because they know I'm going to be out for a while, they claim McElhenney off waivers, and McElhenney plays amazing. Yep. And, like, he's the greatest guy. Like, I'm so happy for him. And I'm happy that that led to him getting that great deal with Tampa Bay. Um, but you're in the trainer's room watching your job go out the window. And then the next thing you know, you're in Charlotte. And then the next thing you know, you're in Austria. So that's kind of how things went for me. Um, but no bitter feelings. Like, uh, like I said earlier, like I'm, I'm very proud of my 10 years pro and hopefully I have a couple left in me wherever it may be. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how well it was for me. Well, I was just going to say, it sounds like lessons learned in terms of, like you said, you can't chase it. You can't make it, you know, like it's a constant process and you sound like you're at peace with your game too. Like not like just your career, but like you feel you're in a good spot in terms of your game and know what needs to happen for you to play well at this point as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what, what's the, as much as the, with all the uncertainty, what's the plan in the near future after, you know, with the travel ends, will you train in Chicago or do you look at going back to have an opportunity to work uh, in Boston, or is that just too tough a commute with your life all settled in Chicago? Right yeah, now? you know, I'm getting married soon, and like we talked about, I got two massive dogs. Um, and I'm lucky I live, I can see the United Center from my house. So the practice rink is right there. So it's nice. easy to train there. Um, and, you know, even the Hawks staff is still great to me. Like, if I need stuff, I can still go to the rink and, like, you know, see the guys and, you know, get ice time and stuff like that. So, it's a great organization here and that, you know, once a Blackhawk, always a Blackhawk type of thing. And they help me out so I can train here. Um, and we'll see, you know, like I said, it's crazy times in the world right now. So just kind of got to wait and see and, and stay in shape and see what comes up in a few months. Do you still talk to, uh, they still, I remember talking, you had, there was a group of guys um, with, you know, Garrett, and obviously, Mike Condon, you go way back with. Do you still have that group where the sort of there's group chats, group texts? Everybody sort of grows up, and like you said, you're getting married, grows in different oh, directions. Oh, but you still, boys. they still your boys. I was talking to Sparks yesterday, um, and then yeah, Condi Bear. I mean, and then even from like that camp out there, like I don't know if you know Joe Canada, who if you're yep. familiar with. Him. He was in the Canucks organization for a little while. Yeah. And we should give a plug to the GGSU camps as well. We're not ignoring them on purpose, but yeah, yeah. you did those so, camps. Um, he just killed it over the Al Spenson signed the SHL. Like he ripped that league to shreds. So I'm happy for him. Um, but yeah, we still talk. We're, we're all still friends. The wife lets me talk to him, you know, so it's okay. 
Do you guys, but do you compare notes on from a, like, is it just buddy, buddy? Or are you guys like still comparing notes on goaltending? Is this still part of the conversation, that passion for the position? Or is it more of an uh, escape from it? Uh, it's a little bit of both. I mean, more for us, it's kind of like where we're all at right now. It's more like, hey, what do you think I should do career-wise? Like, you know, do you know teams? Like, you know, teams need goalies or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sparks, he's like, let's go rollerblading. I was like, any day, dude, come downtown. And cause he's, he's, he's in the area. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sure we'll get into some like serious goalie talks when he comes down for a rollerblade. Nice. Nice. Hey, listen, Scott, we took way too much of your time, which is a habit of mine. Um, Darren Millard is going to laugh at me that I, I didn't even get a last question. And normally I'm famous for a last question and I still managed to run this thing up to 50 minutes. So Dude, we really appreciate the time. It's great to catch up with you. Um, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And, and thanks Good for time. catching everybody up. Good to see you. Woody, I'm going to be honest. Uh, there's, there's times that we do bug you about uh, one more question, but that, that was a conversation with Scott that you could have asked 35 one more questions and uh and we wouldn't have been all over you because it was just uh it was that uh, incredible of a of a discussion and of course it's the one where i didn't ask yeah. one more question <laughs> so clearly clearly my uh my sort of read on things is not the same in terms of how to manage but hey we got through and uh, my there were so many good my favorite though is yeah, like I, I'm not structured. Where he's comparing him to, and Bishop being the U, two F, UFA goalies, and he's talking how Bishop's more of a positional and yeah. get hit goalie, and and he's trying to describe his styles. His you know Scott doesn't play quite as structured a style, and I'm I'm more like Pekarine, a bad Pekarine. Like I thought that was just That's awesome. Um, obviously, you're not a bad Pekarine, but I thought that was just hilarious for him to say it and describe it that way. He definitely plays with a little more. There's a little less structure in Scott's game. And yet when he was on, uh, and as he was for the first three years in Chicago, almost every night, um, man, he was good. I covered that series, the Nashville-Chicago set, when Chicago came out from the studio, but uh, but I, w- I was part of the crew that uh, that had that series. I don't remember us ever discussing that he he hadn't played in the playoff game before. Like that, I that was no idea. wild. Yeah. To, to imagine your first taste of playoffs, other than, as you said, giving up 10 at the university of Maine. Yeah. Um, like five years later, you get your first taste of the playoffs and it's Chicago. And that, that rivalry, you covered that series, like that Chicago Nashville rivalry. Maybe it's died down a little bit, but that was heated at the time. That was, that was a big rivalry and to get thrust into the middle of that with the expectations of that Blackhawks group. And to be the catalyst to spark the turnaround that leads all the way to a cup in your hometown. Like I said, like Disney, you know, you send that script to Disney and they're like, eh, no. And he's playing against the team that gave him his shot that really broke through in in the minor leagues when he wasn't even their property uh, when he was now playing with Milwaukee. That, was that something you knew at the time? I didn't I didn't realize no. until he mentioned it. No. But yeah, so these are guys he was roommates with Philip Forsberg and now he's charged with shutting them down. Makes it sound like I don't do any research at all, but it just it just never Me neither. Uh, never uh looped in and and Dean Evison uh was the coach and uh we're we're big fans of Dean and uh, he's now coaching the uh, the Minnesota Wild as the as the interim head coach. Dean's brother was my 12 year old head coach uh, in in AAA hockey, so that's uh, that's a tie in there. Good old Heavy Evison was uh, oh man, I miss that guy. He he was he was a wonderful human being. Uh, but uh, but yeah, all this synergy and and 
he's in the net uh, getting his opportunity and against his former roommate. It's just it was it was wild to hear that story. Yeah, it was it was and like I said, a lot of those things I just I was not aware of. You know, as much as I think we've we've got dialed in. When you hear new things five years later about it, you're like, wow. Well, that's why we have these conversations. That's why we bring you this content. It's not. It's not just for you, the listener, uh, and you, the subscriber. We learn so much uh, through these conversations and uh, and our love of the position and the uh, the goalies world and uh, and the environment that that we spend so much time in. Uh, one more uh, plug for uh, the the parents uh, article and uh, and oh. just uh, before we before we go, uh, an opportunity where people can uh, can get this uh, this article that you posted. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's at Ingold Premium, and uh, it's going to be a, a regular column where I just sort of share my thoughts on various topics related to goaltending parents. It's not at all intended to be me speaking from the pulpit and telling you how to do things. I just want to spark some conversation, uh, some dialogue, some discussion. Uh, I think uh, the goaltending parent community is a is a pretty unique one and a very interesting one, and we all feel a little bit alone at the rink quite often, so it's a chance for us to come together um, as a smaller subset of the goalie union because uh, even though Many of us are not in the net. Uh, we're still part of this great community. And, and so I wanted to give a bit of a catalyst. So visit us at Ingoal Premium and check it out and hit the comment section. Let us know what you I want you, you to do one on photography. Uh, you take some pictures uh, when you're at the rink. And I want you to do just a, a basic uh, introduction on how to take good pictures of uh, your son or daughter at the rink, whether they're forwards or, or goaltenders. And uh, yeah, I, I just think it'd be, it'd be Funny different. enough, that's... Yeah, well, um, we actually have one at the old in goal, which I can probably repurpose a little bit and add to myself. Technology might have changed. And it, well, no, but the concepts are actually very similar, and it was done by a photographer out of Chicago, actually. Uh, Nick, I'm going to get your last name wrong. Ulaveri, I believe it is. He is a spectacular photographer in Chicago. Uh, the landscape work he does, um, I would say it's downtown landscape work from uh, high above the city in uh, skyscrapers, it is absolutely spectacular. And he did an article on how to shoot your son or daughter uh, with a camera <laughs> at the local uh, hockey <laughs> rink. And uh, and uh, but it's actually probably the most viewed article at the oldingoalmag.com because it got picked up by a few uh, photography websites where people were just saying, "Hey, you might want to take a look yeah. at this," and uh, constantly getting hit up in the archives. But yeah, no, happy to refresh that at some that'd point. Be, that'd be a lot of fun because we're all like to take pictures of our sons and daughters when they're out there, and just a little bit of tips on uh, on what to do and and, and how to how to go about it. Uh, Woody, a great job today, pal. That was uh, that was outstanding. From your uh, admitting that you were wrong at the start, and uh, you may be wrong at the end. Who knows about uh, goaltenders coming out of this uh, this pause? Uh, <laughs> because we don't know anything uh, right now. Uh, to uh, to the conversation with Scott Darling, that was uh, that was awesome. And Hutch, uh, looking forward to uh, to catching up on that article about the uh, hockey academies and uh, the content that's going to come your way from the Western Hockey League Hockey Canada Goalie Symposium. We'll keep you up to date on that. Uh, for Hutch and Woody, I'm Darren Millard. Uh, uh, you are a goaltender. That means uh, you are our darling on uh, In Goal Radio the podcast.